Welcome to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. You will be able to find more Heartland sermons at hcc.ag or Heartland Christian Center YouTube channel. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. We hope you enjoy this week's message by our lead pastor, Dr. Phil Willingham. Hallelujah. Come on, what, what, while you're clapping, just welcome all of our campuses. They're joining us online right now. North Johnson, Hebron, Watertall. I'm going to make sure the pastors are listening. You all text me, okay? You text me. Let me know you're in the house with me, okay? Hey, I love you, man. It's awesome. Great to be here this morning. Look forward to what God's going to be doing. I want you to I want you to grab your Bible. If you don't have that with you, there's a worship guide like this. Hopefully you grab one of these as you come in. And uh, we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 11 this morning. And uh, we want to walk you. You know, all this year we've been doing a series on questions that God asked. There's over 300 questions that God asked. If you've missed any of those questions, you know, we've navigated some pretty tough uh, topics and some questions that uh, the Bible talks about. And, and you can go to hcc.ag and they're online there. If you have our app, there's our archive there. You can do that. But, but not only did Jesus ask questions, Jesus was personally asked over 100 questions. But most theologians believe that he only answered directly about eight or ten of those messages. For you math whiz, whiz, that's about 40 times more likely that Jesus is going to ask the question than he's actually going to answer a question. So, so what, I, what I want to do today, at least next week, I want to take a couple of the questions that Jesus actually took the time to ask. And then, as you notice, when he, when he, uh, when he answers a question, he always has a follow-up question. And it kind of helps us understand what, what we need to know. You know, there's a, there's a very unusual time that we're in right now in this culture, where we at, and what's happening in our culture uh, the nation of Israel been under attack on the weekend. I'm sure you've seen some of that on the news. And man, th- this, this is a very uh, crucial time that the church is in. It's a very perilous time in so many ways, but it's also a time of great opportunity. You understand that? A lot of opportunity happening in the culture that we're living in. And I want to take you to Mark chapter 11. This story is also found in Matthew 21 in Luke's gospel, chapter 20. But I want us to navigate what, what the question that Jesus was asked and how he answered this question. The Bible says again, they entered Jerusalem as Jesus was walking through the temple the leading priests, the teachers of religious law, and the elders, as three groups, they make up the Sanhedrin, came up to him. They demanded, by what authority are you doing all these things? We'll talk about what they're referring to in a second. Who gave you the right to do them? And Jesus responds in verse 29, I'll tell you by what authority I do these things if you answer one question, Jesus replied. Did John's authority to baptize come from heaven 
or was it merely human? Answer me. They talked among themselves. If we say it was from heaven, he will ask, why didn't you believe John? But we dare, but do we dare say it was merely human? For they were afraid of what the people would do because everyone believed that John was a prophet. So they finally replied, we don't know. And Jesus responded, then I won't tell you by what authority I do these things. Now, now these questionnaires, the, these three groups, they represent temple authority. And they know among themselves they had not given Jesus any authority to be doing any of the stuff that he's been doing. So, so they, they come to Jesus and they want Jesus to cite they want him to give them a source of his authority. Now, now what Jesus was doing was, was, was not something that was commonly done because he, he, had, he had been given authority to do these actions by, by someone other than them. And, and to, to give these guys a little break, they, 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 were, they were asking this question. It, it appears to be honest a question, but what Jesus is going to prove is ultimately the motives from their heart. The Jewish leaders was constantly challenging Jesus' authority. And, and, and Jesus would, would silence them because here's the problem with challenging Jesus. You, you know, you and I can have a conversation and you can ask me one question and I think that's the, that's the question, but... but I don't know what's really in your heart. I don't know the intent behind that question. True? Now, now we, we can speculate sometimes. Jesus never speculated what was the content. He didn't speculate what, what are you really talking about. The Bible says that Jesus knew what they were saying. He knew what was going on in their hearts. So, so I'm going to talk to you today about the authority of Jesus. I want to talk to you today about understanding that everything we say or we don't say, everything that we do or we don't do, everything that, that we believe or we don't believe is a reflection of our willingness or unwillingness to submit to his authority. Now, now there's many in this room and, and watching online and all the campuses, I am sure you, you, you step up and you say, well, Pastor Phil, wait a minute, I, I totally embrace the authority of Jesus in my life. I, I accept his lordship and his leadership. And, and, and most of the people who say that, I'm sure we say that with, with, with sincerity. But what Jesus will do this morning, I think if you just kind of stay with me, he's going to move towards you a little bit closer. He's going to lean in with us, and he's going to really challenge, do we really allow his authority to be ruling in every part of our life. It's, it's important to understand that Jesus' authority has to be priority in all of our lives. Paul said it like this in Philippians 2 and 9. I put this verse. said that God elevated him, talking about Jesus, to the place of highest honor and gave him a name above all other names. We've been singing about that name. That at the name of Jesus, 
every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and, and, and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, there, there's going to come a day that everybody, whether you do it now or you, you, you do it in some other period, there will be a day that the Bible said that every person, everybody, everything will have to bow down to authority of Jesus. Come on, you understand that. His name is above every other name. But what Jesus is going to challenge us with, how does that look in our life today? So, so I want to take this passage, and we're going to frame it around the, the authority that Jesus established, how they challenged that authority, how it was re rejected, and then how you and I are challenged to accept it. So, so first of all, just to give you a little, little context, the authority of Jesus, what, what he did, what he said, listen, he established it, he demonstrated it throughout his entire life. The 33 and a half years that he was upon the face of this earth, when he came into that Messiahship, when he started operating as the Messiah, as the Lord, he demonstrated his authority. Now, now some of you that was here last week, you know Pastor Marty said that, that the rabbis teach what they have part of their clarity, that there would have to be, there would be four things that, that the Messiah would have to be able to do in order for them to accept his authority. He'd have to cleanse a leopard. He'd have to cast out a, a mute demon. He'd have to heal a, a person that was born blind, and he'd have to raise somebody from the dead that had been dead for four days. Now, listen, all you have to do is read through the New Testament, and Jesus established his authority. Just, I, I don't have time to preach it, but he, he had authority over nature. We see that in Mark chapter 4. When, when he speaks to the wind and the waves, he had authority over evil spirits. Mark chapter 5, he had authority over illnesses and diseases. I mean, a woman that had suffered for 12 years of a condition, when she encounters Jesus Christ, he heals and makes her whole. He established his authority. He had authority over death, not only raising Lazarus from the dead that had been dead four days to establish his Messiahship. He raised Jairus' daughter from the dead. He raised the widow woman at Cain. He raised her son from the dead. He had authority over sin. He had authority over circumstances. He had authority when he was teaching. Listen, Jesus demonstrated his authority over and over and over again. So now he stands. I want you to get the picture. He stands before this authoritative group, the Sadducee. He's in the most authoritative place that there was in that day, the temple. And Jesus is going to force these Sanhedrin, these teachers and, and, and priests, he's going to force them to they have to make a choice about what do you believe about the authority of Jesus. So write this down. Listen. At some point, you and I will be confronted with the authority of Jesus. We have to make a personal decision about his authority, just like these rulers did. At some point, it, there, there comes a day. Listen, life is full of choices. We understand every day, God gives us the freedom of choice, what we think, 
what we do, what's, what's good for us, what's bad. Listen, success and failure is determined by the choices we make. Listen, the sum result of our life is, 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 is found in the choices. And Jesus simply says, listen, if you're not with me, you're going to be against me. If you're not working with me, then you are against me. If you don't crown Jesus as Lord of your life, then you are ultimately going to crucify him. Well, that's good preaching, Pastor Phil, right there. There's no middle ground. You understand that? There's no middle ground. The decision that we get forced to make, just like Jesus is going to, listen, they challenge his authority. Jesus established it, and yet they step up, and they want to challenge it. Now, watch this. Even though it's clear that Jesus has got this divine power, nobody's done the miracles that he's done. He demonstrated it over and over again that this authority comes from God. Hear these Sanhedrin, they're challenging. Again, look back at, at verse 27 again. Again, everybody say again. They, they entered Jerusalem. Now what's this? Historians tell us that during the last week of Jesus' ministry, Jesus would enter Jerusalem. He entered it several times. He, he would go in, he would do something, he would teach something. He had this, he had this repeated pattern. Again, he entered Jerusalem. This time, he goes into this large temple complex. It's the size of 10 football fields. Can, can you imagine being in such a complex and place? And Luke tells us about this event. When he gives us a little insight, Luke's gospel says in verse uh, of 1 of chapter 20 that Jesus is in this large complex. He's teaching the people, and he's preaching the gospel. And these religious leaders come up and interrupt him. Now watch this. Here's, here's what I want you to understand. Jesus knows it's a matter of days and hours, and he's about to be crucified. Jesus knows he's about to be abandoned. He, he's about to be rejected. He's going to be humiliated. He knows that he's about to be betrayed by his disciples. He knows that everybody's going to leave him, and he knows he only has days left and he decides to spend the majority of his time teaching the people and preaching the good news. Now watch this. That is significant. Jesus is telling us, when you get to the place in your life where you know, listen, every one of us in this room are terminal. Well, let me say that again. I got news for you. I've seen the report. We're all terminal. We're going to die. Now, I don't know when, and hopefully it's not this morning or this week. But listen, when you and I come to the realization that every day we live could be our last day, every day that we're upon the face of this earth could be the last moment of time that we have to invest our life. And Jesus is a model for you and me to look at our lives and say, you know what? If, if I know that I'm living in the latter part of my life, I don't care whether you're 20 or 30 or 60, what, what I'm going to do, I'm going to place value and importance on what? The Word of God and the gospel. Now, just think about it. We live in this great, blessed culture right now. 
we, we live in an incredible time of opportunity in the United States of America. Christian churches like this that we're able to construct and build. There's no armed guards outside trying to watch out for, for evilness and wickedness. We live in a, in, a, in a huge opportunity of peace and prosperity. And in the midst of that, if we're not careful as a church, somehow or another we forget why God has left us upon this earth. It, it isn't to absorb ourselves. It isn't to have a pity party. Listen, Jesus could have had a pity party. Jesus could have, listen, I've only got a few days left, and I know the cross. The, I know what horrible type. But listen, he did not. He spent his time with the word of God and with the gospel. Write this, write this in your notes. One of the characteristics of a healthy believer in a church is their commitment to God's word and the gospel. It's healthy when you and I understand, listen, this book right here is a book of life. This book right here has to be the lamp under my feet and the light under my pathway. This book right here has to be the word of God that directs and orders my decision making. And when I value this book, when, when, when I look at this book as being the book of life, the book of direction that helps me, listen, I understand regardless of how much time I have left in this present world, I'm going to spend time in God's book, and I'm going to be, spend time with the gospel. Listen, right after Jesus' death and resurrection, the church got together in, in Acts chapter 5. The Bible says in every day in the temple and from house to house, they continue to teach and preach the message, Jesus is the Messiah. You understand that when you and I value, according to the study of habits, and what's this? A daily action, just, just, just a daily action like eating fruit for lunch instead of ice cream, and running for 15 minutes instead of taking a 45-minute nap, listen, a, da a daily action, if you, if, you, if you commit to doing something that you've never done, you do it daily, a habit can be formed in 66 days. A daily action, doing it. Now, I, I've, I've given you the power of four more before, but, but I, want, I want to give it to you again. Because listen, when, when you and I, the study has, has bared it out, that when, when a Christ follower will engage in the Word of God, listen, that this book right here, if we engage in the Word of God four or more times a week, we have seven days in a week, if four or more times a week, you will get in the Word of God. Listen, you're 228% times more likely to share your faith. You're 231% you're times more likely to be discipling somebody else. You're 60 times less likely to feel spiritual stagnant. You're 30 times less likely to struggle with loneliness. You're 31% times less likely to struggle with forgiving other people. And you're 400 and 16% times 
more likely to give your time, your talent, your temple, and your treasure to the church. If you engage in the word of God at least four times a week. Now listen, Jesus gives us an example. Folks, listen. Right now, this world is on the crest of World War. It's on the crest of every all eyes being on Middle East. It's on the crest of the Antichrist being set up. We're on the crest. We're, we're, we're right at the border of tribulation and great tribulation. It, listen, we know we don't have much time. What are we doing with it? How are you investing it? Jesus was teaching and preaching God's word in the temple. And these leading priests and teachers and, and elders came up to him. And they question him. Listen, just a quick background. These three different groups, the chief priests, the scribes, and the teachers of the elders, they made up the Sanhedrin. There's 71 members of the Sanhedrin out of these three groups. We don't know if all 71 was there or if it's just a little portion. But these leading priests and these scribes and these elders, they're, they're, they're there. And as they, as they see what Jesus is doing, the, the most powerful group at that time, they show up and they question Jesus' authority. Now, now listen, this group had significant political and religious power. And you say, why in the world would they confront Jesus? You go back in the Old Testament, I don't have time to hang out here, but Deuteronomy 18 says that one of their responsibilities of the Sanhedrin was they were supposed to investigate anyone who claimed to be sent from God. But here's the kicker. Jesus is going to reveal the real heart of this thing because the Sanhedrin, these group of people, these three, they'd already decided they want Jesus dead. Matter of fact, Mark 11 and 18 says they had begun planning how to kill him. So when they show up to approach Jesus, they're not seeking for truth. They're looking for evidence to destroy him. They, their, their mind was closed. Now watch this. Yesterday, the day before this happened, you, you read in the scripture, Jesus has been in the temple already. You know what he did the day before this? He goes, he goes into the temple and he turns over chairs and tables. He runs out everybody. He says, listen, you've made my house a den of thieves. I, I, my house is supposed to be a house of worship. He, he announced that the house of God would be reestablished for what it was truly made for. So during the night between that event and this event that we're looking at, Mark 11, the, the, these, these three groups, the Sanhedrin, they got together and they talked among themselves and they decided that they would confront Jesus at the temple the next day. So they show up and Jesus is there, but what's he doing? He's, he's walking around in the temple, he's preaching, and he's teaching the gospel. Because of their position and their responsibilities of the temple, they, they, they feel like they have a right to ask him this question. But listen, but what they don't understand, listen, 
What they don't understand that everything in that temple, everything in that, that, that 10 football field long, everything in that temple, the sacrifices, the curtain, the altars, the incense, down to the very details of what the priest was wearing, every one of those things was an object lesson of who the Messiah and what the Messiah would do. But they just didn't see it. So Jesus comes in and he rearranges the furniture and he cleans out the clutter. He realigns the purpose of what the temple was supposed to be. Now listen, so, so here, here's, here's where I want to get real personal, okay? Look at your neighbors, the pastor about to get in your business. Come on, say, I'm not going to bother you, I'm going to bother your neighbor. I'm going to get in your business. You understand that we have to give Jesus permission to rearrange our lives anytime he chooses. We have a tendency, just like the nation of Israel did, just like the priest, we have a tendency, if we're not careful, the main thing stops being the main thing in our life. We, we, we have a tendency... Well, maybe, maybe, let me get the mouse out of my pocket. Maybe it ain't a we, maybe it's a me. Listen, I, I can remember there, there's been times when, when, when Jesus showed up in my life to rearrange things. And when he started moving my life around, like you move furniture, you know, you move furniture, you know, just, just for the, a little bit of marriage counseling, they say in marriage counseling that husbands, if your wife is constantly moving furniture in your house, it means she's sexually frustrated. So just, just take a note of that. That's a side note right there. Won't go any farther. But listen, when, when, when Jesus shows up in our lives and he starts moving stuff, he starts rearranging. I've noticed in my life there's been times I have a resistance to change. There's been times when, when I've even challenged the Lord, what do, what do, what do you think you're doing? Wait a minute, this is my life. This is my money. I work for this money. This is my house. I bought this house. What, what do you mean you want to use my house to, in, to invite people and have small groups? Are you kidding? I'm going to have strangers in my house? You want me to spend on my money on what? You want me to invest in what? What is that? Well, what, is, what is happening? When Jesus shows up and he rearranges things, we, we, we just, we made a quick trip to Arkansas. It was an honor-bound thing. I went out there and spoke, and we went left on a Friday, come back on a Sunday night, and we spent more time on the road than we did at the event, but, but it was just great to just go down there and hang out and went to Arkansas, beautiful country, curvy roads. I, I almost wore my battery out blowing my horn and my own taillights. Who was that in front of? Oh, wait a minute, that's me. That's me right there. 
But while we're driving and, and we're have the camper, you know, 20 foot toy hauler, got my motorcycle in, and Rhonda's with me, Sunshine's there. And I, I just, Rhonda's love language for some of you, her love language, her love language, what is just time. It's just investment of time. She loves just to spend time, uninterrupted time. So she loves to travel, loves trips. You know, no radio really on, working, we're just talking, chatting, and we're looking at this beautiful country, and then all of a sudden, I find myself getting ticked at God. You ever, you ever got mad at God? Because I'm writing, and I'm looking, and I'm seeing that smile on her face. I said, God, why in the world am I trying to build a sunshine center where if I didn't do that, I could do this more? I'm 68 years old. Why are you? Listen, there's some other knucklehead pastors you can talk to. Surely, surely there are some other pastors that you can say, there's a tremendous need out there. There's an unforgotten people that has families with disability, and you need to do so. I said, surely that I got mad at God. And God says, wait a minute. You think I really brought you this far? For you to spend the latter part of your life hanging around a bunch of smelly bikers? You, re you really think I've done all that I've done for you in your life just to allow you to get to that stage in your life where you think you kick back and you become hed hedonistic and it's just all about you? He said, look at what Jesus said. Listen, I think sometimes... Many of us can be like the Sanhedrin because we don't understand that we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The temple is his. Understand that? It's his temple. You don't own it. He gave you that job. He's the one that allows you to have the intellect, the will, and, and the ambition to go and do this and do that. God, all of that come from God. And you really want to sit back and challenge him like the Sanhedrin did? Or will you step back and just say, wait a minute, Lord. Rearrange whatever you need. Clean out all the clutter. Make sure that my purpose is aligned with your purpose. Instead of us asking, by what authority are you doing this, Jesus? This is my life. No, it's not. You follow me? See, some of us are being challenged right now in this culture. And we get challenged in this culture if we're not careful. We buy into what the culture says, particularly in America, that these last days, that, that this time that we're living in, the time of prosperity and the time of peace, it's just all to make our life better. No, no, no. It's, it's to give us a little bit longer to have the gospel of Jesus Christ proclaimed throughout our communities and throughout this world. See, that's why we do Convo of Hope. You know, we, we've been doing it for the last uh, 10 or 12 years. Convo of Hope, we raised a one-day offering. I'm hoping this year we can do $50,000. Multiply 50,000 times seven. That's how much our offering will be. I hope we can do that. And somebody asked me the other day as we was planning this. They said, wait a minute, Pastor. What, what, you're, you're trying to raise money for the Sunshine Center. You, you mean you're going to give money to the Convo of Hope? Yeah, it's about the kingdom. You understand? It isn't about my kingdom. It's about his, his kingdom. 
He's bigger than this. I'm, I'm sorry. That, see, that's what going to Arkansas does. It just makes you get right up in people's business, doesn't it? I'm on nosy Arkansas people. Good Lord. Back to Jesus in the Sanhedrin. By what authority are you doing this? And Jesus is a genius because he says in verse 29, I'll tell you about what authority I do these things if you answer one question. Now, he, Jesus wasn't being evasive. He's not dodging the question. His counter question is actually typical. It's a typical practice that these rabbis would know, the leaders would know, the teachers would know, especially when, when, you're, when you're in the context of debate. You would ask back and forth questions. And Jesus is trying to push these guys to think a little bit deeper. Jesus really knew that his, that his question that he's asking them is going to reveal the motives behind their question. See, he wanted them to, to, to confront their own personal sin and their own selfishness. That's why Jesus asked us questions. I said, God, why, why, why you put this on me? Why you give me that vision? And God said, why, why have I gifted you? Why? Well, he asked you, why? Because it reveals your, your, your own selfishness. Because Jesus knew that their decision about John would determine their decision about him. Because remember, John was endorsing Jesus. Remember when Jesus came in John chapter 1, John said, hey, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then Jesus endorses John a little bit later and said, listen, there's not been a greater person born of a woman than John the Baptist. So Jesus knows, hey, if if, if, if they endorse him, they're going to endorse me. If they deny him, then ultimately that means that they're denying him. Isn't, isn't that what happens? Oh, listen, listen. What, what we believe about one thing can transfer into the other. Listen, if people struggle of believing in the existence of God, then, then yeah, absolutely they're going to struggle believing that Jesus was God in the flesh. Right? Come on. If, if, if people somehow or another struggle in believing in the creation, I guarantee you they're going to struggle believing in salvation. Hello? So for the Sanhedrin, Jesus knew what they believed about John the Baptist would ultimately determine what they believed about him. So it brings us to my next thing is the authority of Jesus rejected. Because the Bible says in verse 31 that they, they talked it among themselves. And they said, if, 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 if we say it's from heaven, then he's going to ask, well, why do you even believe in John? If we dare say he's merely human, they're gonna, they're, then we're afraid of the people. So the religious leaders went off to the side, and they had this conversation, and they discussed, and they said, wait a minute, listen, if, if we say this, then, then he's going to point to that. If, if we say John is just merely human, then, then we're, we're going to reject it. Now the people are going to come against us. If we say that John was sent from God, then, then we've been rejecting his baptism of repentance. We, we've been rejecting that John the Baptist has been bypassing all the temple, the sacrifices, and all that. So, so they found themselves in a dilemma because they, they, they could not be, be open and honest with what they were really up to. 
Because what they were really up to, they'd already made up their mind that Jesus was from the devil. Follow me? They're not searching for the truth. Even though they've got Old Testament prophecies, they've got miracles, they've got his teaching, the evidence is there. They just refuse to believe it. How many times do we find people in our culture right now that they struggle with? Well, I just tell you, if, 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 I could, if I could see a miracle, I'd just believe in God. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Not, not, not if, you, if you don't believe that the Bible is a book of miracles and it recorded the life of miracles and Jesus did so many miracles that, that he could, they even couldn't put all of them in the Bible, if you won't believe that, then I guarantee you, you wouldn't believe if you'd seen a miracle right before your eyes. So, so, so Jesus stands there with these, with these Pharisees and these, these Sadducees and, 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 the, and, the, and the lawmakers and the teachers, and they admitted they couldn't tell the difference between God of man or Satan. And Jesus said, so I won't tell you by what authority that I'm doing this. So, so it, it comes to this. I've got to, listen, it comes to this. What, what, what will you believe about Christ? Are you going to believe that he's truly the Lord? Are you going to say, well, he, he's a liar or he, he's a lunatic of, of, of claiming who he claimed to be? Listen, there's no middle ground. And we're being brought to that in our culture today. You're going to have to decide who Jesus is for yourself. You have to examine yourself. What, what, what am I searching for? What am I looking for? Most important question that we'll ever answer in this life is an eternal destiny question. Do I receive Jesus or do I reject Jesus? And if you receive him, then it means that you're always open to Jesus at any time with his lordship and his leadership to step in your life and say, okay, you thought this, I'm going to rearrange, and now it's going to be this. You follow me? And how many understand that's tough? It's tough. You think you get your plans, you got your ways, you got, this is, I, this is how I see my life being lived out. And then all of a sudden God shows up and says, no, 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 I want you to stay on point. I want you to stay on purpose. So it brings me, come on, Pastor Lindsay, it brings me to my last point, the authority of Jesus accepted. We've got people in this room, we've got people at our campuses, we, we, we've got people who says, you know, Pastor Phil, I've, I've already accepted the authority of Jesus Christ in my life. But it always demonstrates how much lordship and leadership he has when he shows up and he rearranges your perceptions, your concepts. I was talking to somebody the other day at, a, at our, at our um, biker church, and they said, you know, Pastor Phil, if somebody would have told me a few years ago that I would be sitting in a spirit-filled, charismatic, Pentecostal church, lifting my hands, worshiping Jesus, I would have told them, you are crazy. I would have looked at him and I said, I'm going to tell you right now, that's the last place in H, and he said the word that you'll ever find me. He said, now here I am. You know what I discovered? He said, I discovered that religion always gave me emptiness. Relationship with Jesus gave me fulfillment in my life. I didn't stay mad at God very long. 
because I know God knows what's best for me. You understand that? And I know God knows that, hey, Phil, you're not going to be satisfied with just riding a bike all the time or being at, you know, bike events or just traveling. You know, Miss Rhonda's pretty to smile at, but when you're unhappy not doing your will, then I guarantee she's going to not be unhappy because I've not just called you with this. I called you because it wasn't but a few months later after me and God's, and I didn't have her in this conversation. It wasn't like, what do you think? Then all of a sudden she speaks up and she looks over and she grabs my hand and she said, I'm sorry so excited what God is going to do through this Sunshine Center. I said, shut up. Are you kidding me? And then for the next 45 minutes of Kirby driving around Arkansas, I'm trying to drive and pull that camper and watch the road and she's just dreaming and casting vision about the Sunshine Center this and so I said, thank you, Jesus. So what's some keys take away that confront us and I think it can, can encourage us? Number one is just trust God. Trust Jesus' authority over all things. Trust his authority. Believe he knows what's best. He wants what's best. He allows what's best in your life. Number two, submit to Jesus' authority over your Surrender daily. I'm, I'm learning this. Listen, I haven't, I haven't arrived at this. We're, we're, we'll celebrate 23 years the first Sunday in November, pastor in this church. Listen, I, I, listen. God started bringing me to Northwest Indiana. He was bringing me kicking and screaming to start with. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to Indiana. Well, once I got here, I seen God's hand and God's will. And I just started submitting. And it's, it's, been, it's been some of the, the, the greatest years of ministry I've ever experienced. God knows that. Listen, believe and speak what is true over what is popular. That's crucial in our culture today. That's the authority of Jesus. That doesn't, that doesn't mean being mean about it, being, being harsh. It means, it means that we're going to believe and I'm going to speak the truth over. I don't care what the popular belief is. Expect opposition when God sends you. Everybody's not going to cheer. I've already had people in this church. Somebody told me this the other week. said, I don't like what you're doing. I don't like what you're doing about this. I don't like what you're doing. That's okay. God bless your little heart. I'll do it anyway. Understand? Because it's God. This ain't me. It's God. But listen, we, we can't expect to do something with God if, if, you, if you don't want to have opposite. You're going to have some pushback sometimes. It happens in families. When you decide to pursue God and his authority over your life and you, you allow him to have complete authority over your time, your talent, your temple, your testimony, your treasure, you're going to have opposition against that. But expect that. And then lastly, spread the good news of Jesus' authority among all. Don't forget, that's the greatest way to peace. That's the greatest way to, way to prosperity. That's the greatest way of living a life of total forgiveness is having the authority of Jesus. And listen, you and I need to spread the news about that. Remember, Jesus spent his last few hours and days going through that huge temple, teaching the people 
and preaching the gospel of good news. The good news of the gospel is simply when you submit to the authority of Jesus Christ, when you yield and say yes to his lordship and his leadership, that's your best decision and that puts you on the best journey of your life. Thank you for listening to Heartland Christian Center Sermon of the Week. If you would like to partner with us and give, please go to hcc.ag and click to give tab. Please like, follow, and share this podcast with others. Also, if you have a prayer request or want to contact Heartland, please email us at pastorphil at hcc3d.com. Have a blessed week.